So we think about cavities they are caused by bacteria and they are transmissible. So there are studies that show maternal to baby transmission of bacteria, cavity causing bacteria, moms that have cavities, the child is more likely to have cavities and siblings and even daycare studies. So you just want to try and watch these kiddos that are swapping saliva and just know that it can increase their cavity risk. So don't share utensils. Yep. All that good you know stuff. What? Welcome to the Well Child Podcast, hosted by Dr. Sammy and Dr. Anna, two board-certified pediatricians and best friends known as the Pedi Pals. This is a safe space where parents, caretakers, guardians, and those interested in pediatric health can find accurate parenting and medical information to raise healthy and happy children. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at the Pedi Pals, or visit our website at www.thepdpals.com. We are so grateful to have had a successful first season where we invited widely respected experts to discuss important topics. Here's to an even better season two just for you. Welcome to another episode of the Well Child Podcast, where we learn from the best experts, hopefully teach our wonderful listeners a little something and share some fun and laughs along the way. Today, we are smiling really, really big, pun intended, because we have one of our favorite dentists in the house. Welcome, Dr. Taylor McFarland, and she is also known as the Mama Dentist. She is a pediatric dentist, wife, mother, writer, and she shares her wit, wisdom, and wonder related to dentistry, marriage, motherhood, writing, and so much more on our social media. She is one of our favorite people to follow. So if you guys don't follow, go straight away to your Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and follow her. She is not only a fun and kindred spirit like us, but she also has the credentials. She is board certified in pediatric dentistry by the American Board of Pediatrics and has been in pr private practice for seven years. Um, we are so excited to have her. We can't wait to learn everything about dentistry from her because we get questions on the daily about it. So welcome, Dr. Taylor. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> I love you equally, if not more so. <laughs> yes, we really do. And we were just talking about how it's so nice to have people that we can relate to and people that feel the same way as we do. And it's so wonderful, wonderful to find that and connect. Absolutely. On TikTok of all places, who thought, you know, that's where we would all convene. And yet here we are educating the masses and having a great time and dancing a little too. <laughs> did uh, no. you find us first or did we like? Oh, I totally. Well, I think I thought I found you first. And then you guys were like, no, we like independently found you or something like that. That's right. You we were I'm crushing like on each other. Yeah. I was pulling your hair. Right? <laughs> oh, I totally we remember now because you met messaged us at one point and then Anna was like there's this dentist I'm like I already know her I already love her <laughs> she's mine she's my friend <laughs> we only wear pink on Wednesdays <laughs> I was like okay you're new BFF <laughs> I love her too okay so share oh <laughs> uh, you guys are awesome you were one of the first I think because uh, I didn't know what I was doing really on TikTok um I got into it because with the pandemic and everything and I I was pregnant. And so I ended up staying home on early maternity leave. Um, so I left at 13 weeks in my pregnancy and was home through delivering baby. It didn't start back till, gosh, she was like six months old. So I was out for a while. 
and I have a lot of time on my hands. I didn't, I didn't, right? Like my my four-year-old and then two-year-old at the time and being pregnant. But I was like, I need to do something. And I thought about starting a blog and educating people about pediatric dentistry. I often find myself at work, as you probably do too, is I wish I had one place where I give all my little spiels that I could give every single one to everyone. And I usually have to pick one. You know, it's like, okay, you have a question about fluoride toothpaste. I'll give you that one. But I'm like, oh man, I wish I could talk to her about frequency of snacking, you know, like all these different things. And so I wanted to make a blog and I had a friend that was like, honey, like nobody really reads blogs anymore. Like you need to do Instagram. And so I got on Instagram and I was like, I'm not pretty or color coordinate enough to do this. And then someone said, Hey, Hey, TikTok is for you. And you guys were one of the first accounts that I found is that, you know, between the dogs dancing and I found the beauty belt and I was like, this, this is what I want to do. So you guys were big inspirations for me and kind of copying you along the way of like the way you engage with people and, and your content. And I still have um, Instagram envy. I'm hoping maybe I can convert a uh, intern into pediatric dentistry. <laughs> Take someone on. <laughs> I'll buy you coffee. <laughs> it takes a village, you know. <laughs> it's, it's hard. Takes a it's lot hard. of work. Yeah, yeah. So it's so true. hard. I don't think people realize what to consume content is one thing. To create it is a whole new ball game. And I will spend hours sometimes making something. I'm like, this is so funny, or this is going to be so informative, and it gets like 20 views, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> it's frustrating exactly what we go through like anything more no I'm like you know Anna I'm like 20 seconds whatever if it's gonna fly it flies if it doesn't I don't care that's the good thing about TikTok I feel like you can't you cannot be a perfectionist on there it's so true I love what you said about the whole um wanting to give everyone every piece of information because a lot of times when we say stuff on TikTok, a lot mm-hmm. of people in the comments will go, My pediatrician never told me that. Why wasn't I told that? We don't have time. Yes, like, like there are little snippets. We yeah. wish we could get everyone. And that's why, you know, we have those few seconds. Like, do you have any questions for me? And you know, bless the ones that have the list. I love it because I can go through it with them. But many times they're just like shooting off the hip and they hope they answer, they hope I have the answer, but there's so much more that I wish I I could say, and, and I'm a talker. And so I wish I could tell everyone. And I feel like the, the days that my boss walks through, she's like, Taylor, come on, cha, cha, cha. like quit talking to everybody. But you want to be able to tell everyone everything. And this is a great way to be able to do that. It, my struggle, I think has been with Instagram and TikTok too, is it's not very organized. And that's one goal I have is to create like a course of some kind. Like I see a lot of people do that. And I'm like, it'd be so good to have like a toothbrushing course, or I've kind of veered into unintentionally kind of depression, mental health and oral health care. And just to have that like basic, a course for that. But I'm like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. So if anybody, anybody knows, reach out to the mama dentist because I don't know you guys know you've got your little link tree and <laughs> I'll be following you <laughs> podcast so hey the podcast is organized by topic that is good <laughs> I mean that's you're behind <laughs> exactly no we started with the podcast because we're like we talk so much like we right, cannot right. fit this into like a tiny little pearl because everything mm-hmm needs explanation and needs like, you know, thought and all of that. And so we, we actually started with that. Now we're like, how do we make it concise into little pearls that people can take, but Mm -hmm. it's not so easy. You know, I have a lot of nuance. I think that's what gets you. And everybody so much. So now is like looking to be upset about something or yeah, swiping, um, or just the nuance. They're like, you're not telling the truth. And I'm like, no, it's just nuance. Like there's more information. Like it's just, it depends. That's why you have to talk to your real doctor, not the one on TikTok. Yes. Oh my God. Oh, it's, it's, yes. I, I mean, there was one on cough medication the other day and I was like, do I dare? I know. <laughs> 
Yes, you're like dipping your toe in the yeah. water. Like, is it worth it? <laughs> I don't know. There might be a handful of people that'll actually listen to the <laughs> rest. <laughs> I know. And then that's the one that you get like a million views and you're like, do I want to even view all of these comments? Yeah, because it's not really a million good views. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I'm, it's the really angry people watching sure. it over and over as they type <laughs> I know. I just want to put a disclaimer on everything. Doubt everything. Yes. Like there's Mm -hmm. so many times where I'm like, Anna, am I crazy? (laughs) No, I've had several that I'm like, I look forward to your content that you create on this opposing view of this topic, because it's like, if you're going to take the time to research it, make a content, create an audience and then put it out there. Okay. I'm going to give you a place to say what you're saying. But like most of the time they're just jumping in and being mean. But then I, I didn't, I, for, we were talking a little bit before this, how I don't engage on certain topics. Fluoride is one. There are so many people that feel very passionately about that. And I just feel like there are a lot more important things. If you want to use fluoride, wonderful. I'll tell you how to do it safely. If you don't want to, wonderful. I'll give you recommendations that are non-fluoridated and, and we can go about our business and be kind to one another. And so I generally disengage, but I found if I completely ignored them, I wasn't getting tagged in the back and forth in them. And there were some people kind of being led astray this hundred street long, you know, comment thread on anti-fluoride stuff. And so finally I was like, oh, I actually need to go and like block it and delete it. And so it's just hard. It's hard to have a platform and to do like protect people that don't know and give freedom to people to have differing opinions and be respectful of that. But I don't know. I'm still navigating it as are y'all and I'm just watching you. So <laughs> kudos. <Wow>. You're wonderful. <laughs> you're, you're doing an awesome job and we love sharing your videos because It is, I mean, you really hit on all the main points that parents need to know. Um, And we, we have our pearls that we learn, you know, but since Mm -hmm. you're the expert, we always just defer all of our dentist stuff to you to the, you know, because since you know, all the nuances and all the little things. And so we love our pediatric dentists so much, but I wanted to, for our audience, start kind of from the beginning um, for parents, uh, because a lot of parents come to us and they ask, when should I start seeing my dentist? Um, what are the things I need to look out for first? So uh, we would love to get your thoughts on all that. Absolutely. So as, as you guys know, the AAP and the AAPD have kind of had a joint dental home policy. It's been around, I want to say 20 years. It's a while. But when you look at statistics for the first visit by the first birthday, that's the goal is that a kiddo's seen by the dentist by their first birthday or within six months of their first tooth coming in, whichever is earlier. So you might have a kiddo born with teeth and those are sometimes wiggly, sometimes painful with nursing. So you want to get in soon, but at least, you know, by six months, um, but six months to a year is pretty standard. But many, many, many pediatricians out there and general dentists out there do not keep that guideline or they're unaware of that guideline. I'm not sure. I even have some good friends that are pediatricians and they're like, I just tell parents they don't need to worry about it till the kids too. And I'm like, but you're my friend. Like what? (laughs) But I think there's just this thought of we're almost giving parents too much to take on and like overwhelming them by telling them they need to do one more thing. But I'm like, it's so much more overwhelming for them to come at two and three and a child has cavities that we could have prevented progression or caught early. Um, So early intervention is key, getting them to the dentist before there is a problem, identifying habits or patterns, um, educating about oral hygiene, what's proper, what is not proper, when to do it, how to do it, where to do it, all those things that parents really know, no one gives us a manual, right? <laughs> and so the earlier, the better so that you are prepared so that 
child is prepared. And as you guys well know, kiddos at certain ages and ranges, when they're getting lots of shots, they get some fear and anxiety, like not white coat syndrome like you or I might have, but they're still anxious about seeing a professional. And many kids who don't come to see us for the first time until they're two or three, they just think we're a pediatrician and that, oh, I'm going to lay back. Someone with a mask comes toward me and I'm going to get shots. And so they're fearful. And so differentiating the dentist from the pediatrician early on helps too, that they know it's a different place. Um, it's maybe different in a good or bad way. They're laying back. They do fuss and cry a lot of times for their first visits. Um, but they start to learn, oh, but nothing's going to be ouchy. I don't have to do any shots here. They just have to look in my mouth, which is weird, but okay, we'll figure it out. Most kids, when they start early by age three, are able to sit in the chair, can have a cleaning with a little spinny toothbrush, and can be confident and happy in the dental office. So early, early, and every six months after that is a general recommendation. I can say I've personally learned so much from you. Like <laughs> I, I have so I'm serious. Just looking at your stuff, like I, I might be your biggest fan because I feel like I'm always <laughs> the first to comment. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. That's so great. And to me, like it's so great to have a mom who's also a dentist and who's a pediatric dentist because. I really just want to go like, okay, what do you do, Taylor? Like, what do you do for uh-huh. your kids? What do you like with all this experience and with you knowing like how hard it is with kids? Like, what's your approach? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so like, I really love that we're able to sit here and like pick your brain about this kind of stuff. I do think this is my observation though, with one thing, and I don't know, I might be totally wrong and I might be offending some people, but in this, in the sense of like a lot of dentists recommending later starting later with the oral care and the, and the seeing a pediatric dentist, is it because they're family dentists and that's different from a pediatric dentist? Cause in our community, if someone like, we'll say, Oh, please go see a dentist. And then they'll go and see a family dentist sometimes. And the family dentist says, you don't need to come back till you're three. And mm-hmm. uh, then they don't, <laughs> and yes. I never hear about it. And then I'm like, Hey, you have like 200 cavities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely so there's a general dentist is someone that goes to dental school for four years and they graduate and they don't have to do a residency. We kind of do residency and dental school all in one. Um, So you're getting patient care, direct patient care, and then your book knowledge too at the same time in those four years. And then you can go on and do a specialty. So a residency like endodontics, so root canals, prosthodontics, crowns and bridges, pediatrics. So pediatric dentists, and that's two or three years. You can get a certificate or a master's. I ended up getting a master's just because I'm a masochist. But um, yeah, you can go to more School and you get more training. Peds dentistry focuses on um, children with just like sensory things, you know, all sorts of medical conditions we learn to manage. And then just the particular management of children, um, especially young children with cavities. And you do manage and treat those different than you would adults. And that is what a general dentist, family practice dentist does not have. And often they do not want to treat children be younger than age three because they're not equipped to do so. Their staff is not equipped to do so. They're not trained to do so. And I don't think it is so sinister that they want to get those patients for themselves. I, I I believe that it is just lack of the realization that there are dentists out there that are willing, able, eager to see children younger than three. I think a lot of general dentists are like, what? Like, no, they don't need to go. But it's becoming more and more recognized that caries or dental cavities in young children is a big problem, um, particularly as it relates to dental sedation, um, which sedation can be done safely, in my opinion, for dentistry. And sometimes it is necessary when you have a young child with severe disease, that is dangerous in and of itself. And you do want it to be taken care of. But to have that taken care of when a child's under four, more often than not requires sedation. And so like the child being put to sleep under general anesthesia in a surgery center or a hospital, which has its risk and children have passed away. And so it's something that if we can avoid that, 
absolutely see them at 12 months so that we never have to sedate another kiddo, you know, hopefully if we don't need to, I mean, we can catch disease early. And I think that's what a lot of general dentists don't really think about. Or if they do, they're like, oh, well, you know, when they're three, they can just sedate them. But that's a risk. I wouldn't want that for my kid. You know, I, I don't want them to be put under sedation if they don't have to be. And so, of course, I'm going to do everything that I can to interact early with the professionals, get myself on track with their diet and with their hygiene and with their home care um, to, to do that. And so I would say with general dentists, yes, it's a lack of either agreement with the policy or understanding of the policy of the age one dental home visit. And so a lot of it is like educating, you know, my own community, our pediatricians, like y'all are really great in our community and they refer to us early and it's really good. So the earliest you'll see them, obviously, is babies. What's the latest you'll see them? It depends. So many practices will see them until they have all of their permanent teeth at um, earliest. So like 10 to 12, there are some practices that will graduate them out. And then some will see them even longer. Um, so like 18 till they're adults, technically. Uh, many try to graduate kiddos when they get permanent tooth issues. So they have uh, lots of permanent teeth that have lots of fillings. They will refer them to a general dentist just to help. But if they have anxiety or underlying things, they'll, they might keep them in-house. It depends on the dentist level of comfort, level of busyness. Some practices just cannot, you know, afford the time to, to keep a lot of older kids. And so they'll graduate them out. I like the idea of graduating them to a general dentist in their hometown before they go to college that they can see one or two times so that they have an established place of care to come back to because that's a lot of kids you graduate them out and then they don't have a dental home you know that they've established now beyond pediatric dentistry then they go off to college and they don't find a dentist again versus many that then come back to their community for breaks and they schedule their visits over breaks and that works so that's what I try to do I generally schedule them out around 16 17 so they can get a few runs in before they go off to college and then can come back. Um, I, I really want to clue in to, to something that you said earlier about starting early. And I feel so validated and so happy because <laughs> that's kind of how I present it to parents because a lot of them think that, no, I don't need to see a dentist till later. And, mm -hmm. you know, we, all three of us are in pediatrics because we believe in early intervention yes, and we absolutely. believe in preventing things before they happen. And, and just with my own personal experience with my parents were immigrant parents, they were moving around a lot. I mm -hmm. didn't get routine dental care. And I know that I paid the price later for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so if there's anything that, that can prevent those, and as you so, you know, well stated so well that um, those habits start early with nutrition, with food, um, with all the processed food that we have available to kids, you know, mm -hmm. all the juices and all of that, all those habits start really early. So if you know what to avoid, and if you know um, what things to do from the beginning, I mean, that is a gold mine, right? And Absolutely. so I really, really am glad that you stated that, you know, starting early is only going to help uh, parents, you know, save costs later on, like you said, mm -hmm. not only anesthesia, but dental costs and procedures. So um, mm -hmm. we are totally with you. Awesome. But I did... I did want to ask about, uh, so I know that we have, um, I mean, dare I go the fluoride route? <laughs> we, oh no. My name's Get, not up there, is it right? <laughs> They're not going to find me. <laughs> Get your seatbelt on. No, we start early with our uh, fluoride, with teaching parents about fluoride. So I wanted to get your input on how, um, when you start and how you start treatment. 
Sure. This is one of the most common questions I get um, on TikTok is when do I start my child on fluoridated toothpaste? And it's the most shocking answer to most people. So the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry, I can't remember. I mix up my dates of when water fluoridation changed versus when the APD policy changed. But I think it was 2014 and I may be wrong and oh well, three kids. <laughs> but I think it was around 2014. The AAPD used to not recommend fluoride toothpaste for kids under two. And then that changed, I think, around 2014 not 2018. I think it was 14. I think it's been a while. How old am I? I don't even know, guys. But <laughs> whatever it was, it changed because they saw an increase in caries in kids under two. And so they said, oh, wait, risk-benefit analysis. So the risk that you're running, a lot of people worry about fluoride. If your child gets too much fluoride, you can have something happen called fluorosis of the permanent dentition. So the permanent teeth are forming from birth until about three to four is the ones that you would see on the front teeth. And if you get too much fluoride, if they ingest too much, say they have formula, they're also reconstituting that formula with fluoridated water. They're drinking lots of that formula. You can have fluorosis if they then also are having fluoride toothpaste and too great in the mouth. They're stealing the toothpaste to have been eating it like my 14-month-old tries to do behind my back in the bathroom. I'm like, no, the fluorosis is little white flecks that show up in the enamel in really severe cases, like someone that lived in the mountains of Colorado and had contaminated um, well water with fluoride. They were drinking like fluoride levels uh, equivalent to drinking mouthwash. But as you're drinking water, you can have pitting or brown or flaking enamel. And so that's what scares people. They Google fluorosis and they see that, or they read studies talking about IQ drops with fluoride intake. But that's in China. That's in contaminated wells where they're drinking, cooking with the equivalent of like mouthwash levels of fluoride. And it's like, that's not what we're recommending. So mouth rinse has a hundred parts per million, about hundred to 200. Toothpaste in the US, adults and kids both have a thousand parts per million of fluoride. Water is 0.7 parts per million of fluoride. It's not even considered a systemic effect. It's so small. It's actually the topical benefit of drinking that fluoride water, just getting that topical frequent um, provision of that fluoride to the enamel to strengthen it. A lot of people ask, what does fluoride do? So your enamel has a mineral in it called hydroxyapatite. And the state of stasis between demineralization, so acid attacking the tooth, and remineralization of mineral re-entering the tooth, kind of this little circular cycle happens whenever we eat food, and then the acidity of the food lowers the pH in our mouth, or the bacteria produce acids, lowers that pH. The hydroxyapatite leaves, and then you want it to get put back in. So once it neutralizes the saliva buffering capacity of bicarbonate, helps it go back in, it gets more neutral. Um, fluoride enters in that remineralization process with fluor appetite. So it changes it from hydroxyapatite to fluor appetite. And fluor appetite is more resistant to acid breakdown. So it's strengthening the tooth. And when you get fluorosis, when that tooth is forming, that's a different process because it's in the bone, right? It's incorporating it into the bone. And so that is making the enamel permanently um, a little bit stronger, a little more resistant to acid breakdown when it's Mild. So a lot of people think, oh no, my, I've been giving my kid like a pea-sized amount of toothpaste and I, I should only be using a grain of rice size amount. And that's the AAPD recommendation is a grain of rice size amount of fluoride toothpaste as soon as the first tooth comes in. So that can be, you know, any age. I like to say myself, and this is not the official recommendation, but once they start solids. So that's when you have carbohydrates, you have acids entering the picture that you want to have that strength enamel before then. I'm not too worried about it if they're just formula feeding or breastfeeding. And you're weighing that balance of fluoride fluorosis um, with that fluoride benefit. And so I wait till six months myself, but they say whenever I'm the AAPD, but grain of rice size amount up until age two, and then a pea size on after that up until adulthood. So many adults were looking at those toothpaste ads and we're using too much toothpaste too. Um, but all that said, grain of rice size amount, 
not too much fluoride um, because you don't want to get fluorosis. But even if you get it, it's going to be mild, barely visible, and it actually strengthens their enamel. And that's something that's not funny because it's it's not funny. But a lot of the anti-fluoride folks had fluoride in their water, had fluoride products when they were younger, and they have probably mild fluorosis. And so they're like, I don't have fluoride. I don't use fluoride. I'm like, yeah, but you did when you were little. And so you have mild fluorosis. And that's why you're not getting cavities is because you're benefiting from fluoride from 30 years ago. And so the kids now that are getting no fluoride and their permanent tooth enamel has not been in being built and structured with any fluoride systemically taken in, they are probably gonna have higher cavity rates later. If they don't, then have fluoride. I feel like it goes through these cycles and we see that with vaccines too. And fluoride's kind of the same way of just like a generation that really rejects it. And then the generation after is like, oh, they denied me this and I and I really want it. And then the next generation rejects it. And so you see that with fluoride as well. Anyway, That's a really that, was a, good point. that was a rant of fluoride. I love it. And like, uh, just the, of the stuff that I've learned in watching your TikToks, one that you don't have to rinse after you brush your teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What? <laughs> Which is hard texturally for a lot of people to stand. That's another big one that parents are like, what? Cause they worry their child's going to swallow toothpaste. Right. And so kids don't spit well until they're about six. That's why we say wait till six to do something like a fluoride mouth rinse. If you have a kid that's high cavity risk, you can do a fluoride mouth rinse, but wait till they're six. Cause they're not going to spit well before then. So we're thinking, okay, we're giving my kid my toothpaste we're brushing their teeth and they're like <laughs> slurping it off the brush and we're going oh no they're swallowing it let's give them some water to rinse that away what's billy doing he's just drinking more of it you know if you're giving him water and they don't spit well they're just going to drink more so i recommend just have them stick out their tongue wipe their tongue off with a washcloth but it does it holds true for you and me too is so that fluoride it takes time for it to work and remineralize as floor appetite into our tooth they say to wait 20 to 30 minutes after brushing for that chemical process to happen oh i said the word chemical <laughs> but for that chemical process to happen. And if you rinse with water, which as we saw was 0.7 parts per million fluoride versus a thousand, well, you're just diluting that fluoride effect and you're not getting that benefit of remineralization. So we don't want to rinse after if we can. And if we worry about our kids swallowing it, we don't want to give them water because they're just going to drink more. <laughs> and then we wash the fluoride off too. <laughs> Another cool thing for anyone listening, another awesome thing that Taylor does is, well, she reviews products, she reviews like toothpaste and stuff, but I also like that she will review like drinks and she will see their acidity levels. And then she recommends stuff. Like I learned that what I'm doing right now is like the <laughs> worst thing you can do to just sit and sip your wine. Yeah. So this you're dentist with mild, yeah, you're supposed to check it. So I have mild fluorosis. I was the kid that used to steal the toothpaste tube and eat it. So I had really strong enamel and pretty poor hygiene habits. Like my parents were great. I was very lucky that they brushed my teeth, you know, helped me with regular dental care throughout my life. So they helped. And that's such a big part of good oral health is how you start. And a lot of that has to do with the parents, not the kids, right? And so I was very lucky that my parents really took great care of my teeth, but I did not develop really wonderful habits. I was a horrible flosser. I was just lazy. Not really. I wasn't lazy. I just had more important things that I wanted to do. And flossing was not one of them. Many times, even true now is I'd rather sleep, right? (laughs) But, (laughs) But I never got a cavity until my third child. And I started sipping on coffee all day long and coffee is acidic. And then if you're adding creamer and milk and all that stuff, it's also sweet. And so I got so many starts of cavities between my back teeth and I knew it. I felt it coming. I was like, Oh no, like my whole life I've been kind of lax and it's never happened, but I'd been an avid water drinker. That was all I did. I just drank water. I loved water, but the coffee did me in. So I finally quit coffee guys. And I put something called silver diamine fluoride. I flossed that between my teeth on my cavities. So arrested them, stopped them from growing. And, and so far so good. But <laughs> But yes, yes, wow. I do review the drinks just, and break hearts. 
I just learn something new every time. Every time I <laughs> see your videos, it's it's really, really helpful. That's awesome. <laughs> You're tuned in to the Wild Child Podcast brought to you by the PD Pals. The PD Pals is our passion project and not-for-profit company where we aim to educate and empower parents and guardians and offer you accessible health tips. Our mission is to also support future female doctors. We currently have interns on our team who are all at different parts of their medical school journey. If you'd like to support our mission and help with our podcasting costs, you can donate to our Venmo at the PD Pals or our Zelle, which is hello at thepdpals.com. We greatly appreciate our audience's support. You can also support our interns on Venmo at interns-pdpals. So the next big topic that I really want to talk about is teething, because that is a big pain point um, mm-hmm. from the beginning, you know, once they start teething. Just tell us the secret, Taylor. Tell that. us everything. <laughs> okay, so the secret I have for you What's is that, magic? and no one's going to believe me, I didn't believe it either, but teething actually is not that painful. It's really not. And it really doesn't disturb that many kids. When you look at it in like, blinded trials as best as you can blind teething. Like we don't really know. So I'll say for my third, I was convinced she was getting her teeth because she was just kind of fussy and irritable around five months. Girlfriend did not get her first tooth till nine months. And I think what often it is, and this is just me pontificating, this is not anything backed by science, anything more than my own meandering experience as a mom and a pediatric dentist, but I think it's growth spurts. You know, they're growing and changing so much and so much about their diet is changing and their oral flora and their gut flora and just everything in life is changing that sometimes they go through periods of sleep disturbance that, you know, their hormones, everything's normalizing. And we think, oh, they must be teething. And a lot of times parents think their drooling equals teething, but it's just your salivary glands happen around the same time that teething tends to happen. The salivary glands are coming online and they're starting to produce saliva. It's just coincidental. But most kids... If they are, you know, generally a kiddo that's like sleep trained, that's not bothered by very much, they'll you'll, they'll wake up and they have a new tooth and you don't know it. So it's crazy. And a lot of people get kind of mad at me at that. And even me, like, I want to be like, oh, she must be teething when she's like really fussy. Or something. And that was me, even me too. But a lot of times it really should only be sensitive the first two to three days that that tooth is breaking through that gum tissue. And so you can help with sensitivity at that point by like a frozen washcloth, like frozen for 15 minutes. So just kind of cold. That's a way I know we agree on that. We have, <laughs> that's a favorite tip, but just dipped in like breast milk or water, freeze for 15 minutes, let them chew on it. Um, You can get cold I, peters, but you want to be careful with the ones with like liquid in them. <laughs> yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Speaking of people who have stuff to say about everything. So yeah, yeah I was so happy when that was our, our main tip, but do yeah. you get the nerve damage? No. Oh my God. I got so many comments on TikTok. Like, how could you recommend that? They're going to get nerve damage. You're like, from what? Like chewing on a cold washcloth. <laughs> so the good thing is their brain gives them feedback. And if it is harmful and hurting, they're going to stop. <laughs> so I guess that they're frozen. That's what they were. You're like freezing it. So it's not super, super, super frozen. Okay. But 15 minutes, cold enough. I, I've missed those little gems. Bummer. <laughs> Probably because mine don't go nearly as viral as yours do. <laughs> so I don't reach quite the far realms of TikTok that you've had the joy of gracing. <laughs> I did like a legit lit search, like nerve damage from cold. Of, no, that doesn't exist. It doesn't. 
That is crazy. No, no nerve damage. The only thing I feel like that would be plausible at all is if they were, it was frozen enough that they did not sense that they were like maybe cutting their gums or something. But like, that's the goal of the tooth to break through the gum tissue because that's what it is. It's right as it's trying to break through. So as a tooth is erupting, it has this little pocket of cytokines over it. That's helping it resorb away that bone that it's moving through and coming up. And that's why you might see a low grade fever is because there are cytokines in that. So it might be like, you know, 99. But if it's any higher than that, if you see other symptoms like snooky nose, vomit, vomiting, diarrhea, like that's not teething. Go to your pediatrician. Teething should be maybe low-grade fever, a little fussy, irritable for two to three days, you know, tops, maybe some sleep disruption. But I think, again, it's more due like growth um, that's happening simultaneously at the same time um, because their teeth are going to be growing when other things are growing, right? And just kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's not for long. And what's going to help as that's breaking through, you want to pop that little bubble, help it come through that gum tissue. So it's like chewing. That's why they want to chew. They're trying to help that tooth break through tooth brushing. So it doesn't even have to be with toothpaste if they don't have the tooth yet, but brushing teeth, stimulating that gum tissue, just a finger, um, and putting pressure there while you're holding baby. Like my daughter just loved that. I would just sit there and just like rubber gums. And she was like, ah, this is awesome. (laughs) So just that stimulation of those gums where those teeth are coming through can help. But that's really it. Like those two to three nights, my daughter, um, I would give her Motrin. So over-the-counter by weight approved by the pediatrician beyond six months. Motrin I find is better than Tylenol to help with teething pain when they are uncomfortable. But again, it's like you don't want to give that too often, too long. So two, three days tops and then see your pediatrician, see if more is going on. And then you guys know, and I will say for the audience, I am not a big fan of homeopathic medicines. So the entire premise of homeopathy is dilution equals increased effectiveness, which is the opposite of what actually works. Like anyone who has diluted juice before, you know, that's not true. Like the more water you put in, the less it tastes like juice. So it's also not regulated. And so any of them, even the ones that I have friends that use them for their own kids that might recommend them, I do not recommend any. My son um, was teething right around the time, I think it's 2017, 18 Highlands teething tablets. They used to be made with belladonna and belladonna was found in inconsistent amounts and babies were presenting to the hospital blue and having seizures. And I was like, uh, no. And now they use something called Arnica, which also is equally untested for safety in kids and levels. And so I don't recommend the homeopathic ones. I'm not going to judge you if you use them, but professionally, um, I don't use them. And as a mom, I don't use them. I just do the cold washcloth, great teethers. We love those Sensomines tubes that you guys have a link to. Those are great. The little teether tubes um, and just brushing finger pressure on the gums and then Motrin if you really need to get through a couple nights that are hard. And while we're at it, no teething necklaces. Oh my gosh. Yes. No amber teething necklaces. So the amber, it has to be like 400 degrees Fahrenheit or something, your body temperature to even leach out the salicylic acid, whatever it's claiming that it would leach out that even that doesn't actually help, even if it did, but kids have died. So there you go. And stop. even if it worked, not worth it for the strangulation. No, risk, exactly. right? Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I like that analogy about the growth spurts because I think that's so true. I mean, I think of colic that way. I never thought uh-huh. about teething that way, but I think about that colic time because they are exponentially growing and their mm-hmm. gut is like, you know, making all these sounds and noises and it's like their body is just going through rapid yeah. changes. And so yeah. it makes sense. And now when you said that with teething, I'm like, ah, oh, that, that totally mm-hmm. makes sense. But I really think that a lot of parents, when they come to us about teething, they're, they're, it's not always as much the pain now that you're saying that it's more that they're always putting stuff in their mouth and they're uh-huh. always, you know, yeah. and it, and it makes sense because they need that stimulation. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that we always see is they, they kind of hit their ears or they mm-hmm. hit, and, and we always talk about, you know, the jaw kind of connects right back yeah. here. So a lot yeah. of them will present with ear pulling for us uh-huh. at least. 
Yep. And that's so referred pain. I don't know if you guys know, just as adults in dentistry, and it's true in kids too, but in high sinus stuffiness season, you can have lots of people that present to the dentist with toothaches because you have innervation of your teeth along with those sinuses and it will change. You'll know it's a sinus toothache and not a real one. If when you lay down and your sinus gunk moves that the toothache goes away, that's a good way to tell, but it's similar with teeth. They're having some innervations that are similar in that same area. And it just referred pain goes to that ear. So the will tug at their ears sometimes. But how many times, oh my goodness, have kids actually had ear infections that the parents chalked up to teething? And so you just always want to go check if it's persistent. I, the best story that stands out in my mind, not the best, I mean, it's really horrible and the mom felt awful, but I had a kiddo that the mom was like, I swore he was teething. He had a broken arm and it was like a week. So you just oh. want to check it out. It shouldn't be persistent. It shouldn't be really, really painful. It's mild, low-grade fever. It, it's not big stuff. And if anything, if they are uncomfortable and parents see them, you know, drooling a lot and they're chewing on everything and they're kind of fussy um, and they think they're in so much pain. And a lot of times they're really not. If you're just kind of like, oh, you know, and you go play and it's not so bad. We chalk it up to more than it than it is. Yeah. I love that. If, if it's persistent, if it's not getting better, if they mm-hmm. have other symptoms, go to your doctor right away, because a lot of parents will assume like we get that a lot when they come mm-hmm. in really sick, they said, Oh, we thought it was just teething, you yes. know? Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing you mentioned, which I just want to get clarity on is a lot of parents come to us uh, with diarrhea as a symptom of teething. Mm-hmm. So um, that's another one. So you're saying that doesn't necessarily happen. Right. I don't think so. Maybe only if only the child is is swallowing a lot of saliva and a lot more than they normally would. You might see more loose stools, but like true, true diarrhea, diarrhea. I don't think it's going to be teething. Maybe just like more loose than normal, but not true diarrhea. Is there like oh, diaper rash? Is there Uh, some kind of change in the acidity of the saliva that happens around this? I don't think so. Like you'll definitely see rash around their neck. So they'll get that little like rash here from all the drooling, but not that I know of with cyber rash, not to say that's not true, but not something I have investigated personally. I'll make it. I'm curious. (laughs) It happens a lot anecdotally, but I haven't really listened to it. Yeah. But um, I might just be full of it. Yeah. No, there's probably something really cool out there. We'll get one of the interns on it. Let's set them up. Well, there's one other, like, I wanted to make sure we we definitely touch on this real quick. Cause I think a lot of moms know this, but a lot of moms don't know this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like a little PSA for me and, um, and yourselves too, I'm sure, but please, please, please don't share utensils with your babies and children for as long as possible. And please, please, please. Like if your child's pacifier gets dirty, it is better to not yes. <laughs> use it or yes. run it underwater than to put it in your mouth and then put it yes. in. Yes. Yeah. You talk about popular water. TikToks. That is one that I'm like, did you know cavities are contagious? And people are like, yeah. what? No, this is lies. You know, <laughs> big fluoride talking or whatever. <laughs> but so we think about cavities are caused by bacteria and they are transmissible. So there are studies that show maternal to baby transmission of bacteria, cavity causing bacteria, moms that have cavities, the child is more likely to have cavities and siblings and even daycare studies. So you just want to try and watch these kiddos that are swapping saliva and just know that it can increase their cavity risk. So don't share utensils. Yep. 
all that good stuff. You know what? You just like made a like bing, bing, bing thing happen to me because I have had so many families that will say like, how did we get care of these? We're so good. We do everything right and did it up with their daycare kids. Yeah. And some, and that's so sometimes I'm telling parents, I'm like, it's just the bacteria they have in their mouth. So they may look at a lollipop and they just have really aggressive bacteria. And there's definitely truth to that. There's genetics in, you know, our enamel makeup, but I think even more strong sometimes is the genetic makeup of the bacteria. And there are some really virulent ones. That means there's really mean ones. The main one is strep mutans. So mutans streptococci are the ones that cause cavities, but there was just some really gnarly variations of that. I mean, look at like Delta and all these variants of COVID. There are variants of bacteria too. And some that just produce stronger acid, more acid. And those kids, it seems like you do everything right and they still get cavities. And so that may be why is a family member that has it. They stay with grandma who has cavities and she transmit those bacteria to baby or they're in daycare with kids that may have cavities and transmit those bacteria. And so there's just so much, and not to say that we should be uber paranoid. The child should live in a bubble. Um, it's all in, I don't know, once you're inoculated, you may have those bacteria, but if you have good bacteria and you're battling it at home with other things, so low frequency of snacking and mostly fluoride water to drink and brushing morning and nighttime with fluoride toothpaste, you're going to counterbalance those things and not give those bad bacteria a foothold. But if other things fall away, you just have to be more diligent in other areas where you can't. So yeah, yep. That can be a big one. Usually for me, that question, they're like, oh, where did this come from? They're like, we don't do candy. We don't do juice and we brush. I'm like, do they eat crackers? (laughs) That's right. They're like, oh, crackers. (laughs) No one thinks of crackers as cavity causing, but because they're processed carbs and they stay stuck in the teeth for so long, one of the number like goldfish crackers, you know, nothing against the brand or whatever, but just that cracker is like the go-to daycare cracker, church Sunday school cracker, easy snack cracker. And so many kids rampant cavities because of snacking on those under age four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And especially those picky eaters, cause we deal with yes. that. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of crackers and fruit snacks and, uh, you yeah. know, um, little things that they grab to, which are easy, but definitely yeah. hard on the teeth. But another big, big one that we talk about, um, you know, I kind of start talking about nine months to a year, um, is the bottles and the pacifier and uh-huh. when parents should wean and how they affect our teeth development. So we'd mm-hmm. love your thoughts on those. Sure. So um, there are three factors that impact jaw changes and tooth changes. So it's not just the teeth positions, the teeth can change, but also the jaws. It can impact the jaw growth. So the bones that hold the teeth and it's the frequency of use. So how often they're using it and the intensity of use, how vigorously they're sucking on this thing. And then the duration, how long. And so a lot of parents are very, very, very worried about their child using the pacifier, but they only use it at night and it falls out as soon as they fall asleep and it's barely in there. Um, And so that is for me, I am starting, I ask about frequency, intensity, and duration. The official AAPD policy is that a child stop using a, um, I was gonna say device, they stop using their passy, whatever it is, um, bottle. Um, Well, bottles is earlier, it's 12 months, but a pacifier or thumb sucking habit, you wanna cease by age three, because studies have shown that if it's stopped by three, the growth and development of teeth coming in and the jaws growing by age six when permanent teeth start to come in will by and large correct that overbite or open bite, the changes in tooth position. Um, But there are other reasons that you guys know as pediatricians and then like working with SLPs, I'm sure there's a lot more with like oral tongue rest position 
and speech development that lends itself toward earlier, but at least for tooth jaw positions. So I try to tell folks that, you know, six months to a year is kind of that funny window. So we know they're protective under 12 months, right? For SIDS, six to 12 months, you see the high, um, higher risk of ear infections, otitis media. So if you've got a kid that's getting frequent ear infections, maybe you want to look at weaning them sooner. But I say from six months onward and definitely 12 months onward, you want to be done with a bottle 12 months, getting them to use an open cup. It sounds crazy. People are like an open cup, but trying to get them drinking from an open cup, just getting used to that lip movement, the retracted tongue position of swallowing. When you think about so drinking from a bottle, the tongue goes forward. That's called an infant swallow pattern versus backward as this tongue coming back and kind of cupping the liquid as it comes in. You want them to start developing that because that's going to help with speech too. And around 12 months, as crazy as that sounds, so like an easy peasy cup, a reflow cup that has slower... Um, uh, flow. And then the straw cup, if you cut it down, that's, and you guys have to talk to some SLPs for this, but what I've been told by SLPs is you have to cut it down and it can only rest right in the tip of their lip for it to really be beneficial, like equally beneficial to an open cup. But I wasn't about to cut some straws. So we just do open rim. <laughs> and the closest I'd found was Munchkin, Miracle 360. There's love-hate relationship with SLPs, pediatric dentists, lots of people, but I like it. Um, I feel like it creates that mature swallow pattern. Um, but 18-ish months tends to be what I've seen from SLPs saying they would really like passing and things to be gone because speech is starting to come online and they worry that it's going to be, especially daytime use, um, that it's blocking that rest position of the tongue pressed against the palate. And so you can end up with like narrow palate, especially from the sucking motion to the pressure of um, the jaw muscles. That's going to be making that palate more narrow, can create airway issues, more narrow for breathing. Ideally, we all want to be breathing through our nose. So it's promoting more mouth breathing that can end up with a long face growth pattern is what it's called, where they have the chin back and their face looks long. So, so much kind of goes into that use. And so I tend to recommend 12 months off bottle, trying to use a cup and then passy trying to wean to just sleep time from 12 months to three and just however long that takes, you know, if they have to have that binky till their, you know, the day before their third birthday at bedtime, that's okay. And even then, if they're not using it for long, the intensity is short, the frequency is short, duration is short at bedtime, they could use that in my opinion until they're like five. If that's what gets them to sleep, it's not going to be impacting their growth all that much. Once permanent teeth come in, so that's seven, um, you want that out of there so that they can grow into their place. But officially, age three is the AAPD policy. Again, mind blown because I was wrong. So when people tell me, ask me as a pediatrician, when should I um, wean off the passy? I say, depends who you ask. Yeah. Um, and then I'll say, dentists are very strict. We're a little more lax. And I'll say 18 months. Uh -huh. But I'm, no, you're actually. Yeah, no, we're really lax. A lot of SLPs are like, what? Three? <laughs> I was like, three? I say 18 months, like max. And I don't, I think our worry is thing because to me, so see, that's so funny, but to me, it's like the longer you wait, the harder it is to wean. So I'm like, you know what, after you've got the bottle thing and you've got that, that's the next milestone. We're just mm -hmm. going to take the passy away. Cause it only takes like two or three days of heartache at that, you know, toddler phase. Whereas yeah. if you wait until they actually like have a name for it. Yeah. True. <laughs> and then, true, true. And then attachment to it. Yeah. It's so hard to get rid of it. Yeah. That's the argument for like before object permanence comes online. So between like six to 12 months, that's one of the easiest times to drop it is to get it just to sleep time. They don't have it during the day. They're not carrying it around. They don't have that object permanence. They don't know that when they don't see it, it still exists. That's one of the best times to wean when you're thinking about weaning with a little one. The trouble or the caveat that I would have with the 18 months is how attached are they already? How much do they need that sucking 
to gain that calmness, whatever. And I have two blog posts about it, just talking about the psychology between, behind thumb-sucking pacifier. There's a lot of psychology of soothing for a child that's in like a difficult home, you know, trauma, new sibling arriving, school starting, what have you, whatever their reason, daycare beginning, that they need that. If we're like, oh, 18 months, take it away. They substitute the thumb. Mm-hmm. And that is harder to nix. So I try to get to the bottom of two of, well, how are they using it and how often and why and what's going on in life? And again, it's like one of those spiels. If I wish we could go through everything with everybody, right? Because there's so much nuance. It is unique to each child in each situation and what they need from that pacifier, what they're getting from that pacifier, and will they be likely to substitute it? Because the ones with the persistent habits, there are very few people that have sucked a pacifier till they're tweens, but there are lots of people who've had thumb habits for a long time. And there's some psychology behind that. And so I try to feel those out as best I can in my brief 30 minute visit, you know, of which five minutes are mine. Um, But trying to figure out the passy and kind of what's going on there in that window from 18 months to three to before I jump to saying, oh, you need to get rid of it because they come back. And I've had them come back, especially early on in my career and still very early in my career, but like the wee baby days of my career when I was just taking my first steps that my first six month three cares, they'd be like, oh, well, we took it away, but now she has her thumb. And I'd be like, oh, oh, shoot. And so I think about it a little more. I'm a little more, I don't know, not cautious, but I investigate a bit more before I blanket recommend now stopping it as early. Do you notice that? Uh, yeah, that's amazing. I love that because we, between six to nine months is where I'm doing a lot of my anticipatory guidance because uh-huh. the sleep training, like yep. you said, the object permanence, the bottles, because mm-hmm. they just, they catch on a lot quicker. If you introduce, yes. you know, if you yeah. introduce the next level up in the development, but do you notice that they still do the thumb sucking if, if they get off the passy earlier? Like, the no, months? no, it's the later okay. kids. It's, it's the ones one that are really attached to it. You know, it's the 18 month range. It really is that when the parent starts to be worried about it, most parents aren't too worried about it at the 12 month check, but when they're still doing it at the 18 month check, they're like, ah, you know, like I'm now it's a problem. And that's when you're like, well, it might be, let's talk about a little bit more because we don't want them to then ditch the passy and substitute their thumb. But yeah, in that like early window, you know, 10 ish months to 12, when we see them for that first visit, if they're early and so few, I think it's like 25% of people, people actually get to their first dental visit by age one. So it's not many that we get to catch that early. Most are that 12, 18, even two years old when we're talking passies. But if we catch them early between that six and 12, we're like, this is your time. (laughs) Try to get them just to sleep time and not have that attachment during the day. I love that. That's really, really helpful information. I'm just trying to absorb all of the pearls because there were so many good pearls. And I feel like everyone's going to have to rewind and watch this because amid, amid we'll have to do it on half speed because I'm like, <laughs> I love it. That's how, that's how I get to when I'm talking to patients of the five minutes that we have. I'm like, yes, no, 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 no. did Same. you catch all that? <laughs> <laughs> they need the captions on the TikToks. <laughs> I've literally started recommending my patients in office. I'm like, I made a TikTok page that actually talks about this. There's a whole series <laughs> if you want to go find it. or I'll point them to my website. Like they'll ask about toothpaste a lot. And I'm like, okay, your kid doesn't like mint or they say it's spicy. I've got like 20 toothpaste on my website and they're sorted by flavor and whatever. So it's just easier. We don't have much time and we want time with everyone and we just can't. So TikTok and all that fun stuff. It's it's impossible. And they can listen to this podcast now and all the nuances and all Mm -hmm. of your 
expertise is going to be so great. <laughs> I love it. But we could talk to you for hours and we probably will because yeah. we're going to try to get you for like 10 more podcasts. For sure. That'll be so fun. You're, we'll have to see viewership. If you're like, she's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. We, we love it. And then we're learning so much. Like we're just like, Oh, light bulb, light bulb, light bulb. <laughs> so it's really helpful for us. But before we let you get back to your mommy duties, um, because you're such a busy mom and dentist, um, any last tips for the audience, like one or two things you really want them to know? Hmm. I, I think the biggest one is going to the dentist early, you know, don't put it off that it is important, even though, you know, little Susie only has one tooth. So much of it is really about the mama um, than the kiddo even more so. Um, so to go early, to get a place established, to have somewhere to go in case there's trauma, because so many kids between 12 months when they're just starting to get mobile and 18 months will have a mouth injury and you don't want to end up in urgent care or the ER when you could just call your dentist, text us a picture and we'll let you know it's okay. So going early, um, I think that is really one of the most important things. And then using fluoride, not being scared of fluoride and that grain of si rice size amount once they get teeth. I think that's big. And introducing tooth brushing early. I don't think I touched on that, but oral health care, I think is something at home that we don't think about. We're so busy doing everything else, but to get baby while they're in the bathtub, wipe their teeth off with a washcloth or before they have teeth, wipe their gums off with a washcloth. And then as soon as those teeth come in using a bristled toothbrush too, that's going to help toothbrushing not be a battle. Should you try and introduce it at 12 months or 18 months, it's much harder later. But when they're just used to you being in their mouth while they're getting that bath, then they know. That'll help because that's the second most common thing, if not the most common thing, really people ask me about on TikTok is how do I help toothbrushing not be a battle? And that's a big one is early introduction. But most people are like, well, crap, they're 18 months old. What do I do now? And then I say, well, follow some of my TikToks. I have lots of tips, but uh, that's, I feel like that veers all into the gentle parenting and giving them choices and having lots of toothpaste. And it's a whole other episode that we'll have to cover <laughs> another day. I love it. I love all of it. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on part two, for sure. We, yeah. I know we have like 10 other topics, including sunrise <laughs> to talk about someday. So we can't wait to have part two, but um, please tell our audience where they can find you. Sure. I'm mostly, I try to be on Instagram, but I'm mostly on TikTok. So you'll find me on TikTok mostly. But if you have a burning question, the place to probably ask it is Instagram because I check both and Instagram is just much less loaded with comments. Sometimes things get away from me on TikTok. And then I have a website, themamadentist.com, M-A-M-A. -A, and that's where I try to list products that I talk about on Amazon because I don't know, most moms, that's the only place I shop. So having it all on Amazon makes it easy. Um, and I have blogs. I don't update those as regularly, but on big topics like thumb sucking, pacifier use, those kinds of things. And yeah, I, I make it a point. I really try, unless it's a viral video that just gets away from me, but I try to reply to every comment um, if and when I can. You really do. You're so good at that. <laughs> I try. <laughs> I'll be like, thumbs up. And then you're like, thumbs up back. <laughs> I don't know how she does it with the, with the kids and the dentist practice. It's just amazing. <laughs> you guys are awesome. I just aspire to be like you. <laughs> well, it's totally mutual. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We're crushing on each other. <laughs> group hug, group hug. <laughs> moving to Texas. Although y'all don't sound Texan, so I don't know. <laughs> In my defense, I'm Canadian. <laughs> oh, that's true. I, I knew this from some other TikTok. I knew this. I found more Texan after a wine. 
<laughs> yes, that's true. Next time with wine, we'll do dentistry and wine. It'll be great. I love it. <laughs> great. You've inspired us. The staining of the teeth with the red wine. What a great. It'll be fine. Crest white strips will be good. <laughs> It'll be an interactive demonstration. Yes. <laughs> First, we'll drink the wine, then we'll wear the white strips. <laughs> The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, hospital, organization, employer, or company. Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the participants. The participants are critically thinking human beings. Therefore, these views are always subject to change, revision, reconsideration, and recalculation at any time. This podcast collaboration makes no warranties or representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information, communication, exchange, and the participants will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its broadcast dissemination or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. It is the communication recipient's responsibility to verify any facts.